Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst Glenn Kirchner. Another tragic death due to excessive police force, and there's still no political effort to take on actual police reform. Here's Glenn. So friends, you've probably already seen the video. Five Memphis police officers beating an unarmed 29-year-old man, Tyree Nichols, and not just beating him, kicking him, punching him, pepper spraying him, tasing him, striking him with a police baton, beating unarmed Tyree dead. The medical examiner said that Tyree died from, quote, excessive bleeding caused by a severe beating, close quote. You know, on the video of those five Memphis police officers killing Tyree Nichols, you hear them yelling at Tyree to comply, comply, while ironically, the officers themselves are not complying with anything that approaches proper police procedures, or for that matter, with anything that displays even a shred of humanity or concern for a fellow human being. And of course, we're already seeing endless headlines in the media. This from CNN. Video shows Tyree Nichols calling for his mother, beaten by officers now charged in his death. This from the New York Times. After Tyree Nichols' death, officials' moves reflect a shift in handling police violence. And even the federal prosecutors, the Department of Justice, acted swiftly. Here is part of a press release from the U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Tennessee. Last week, we announced that the United States had opened a federal civil rights investigation into the circumstances leading to the tragic death of Tyree Nichols. The press release goes on to say the Department of Justice cares deeply about potential violations of constitutional rights. Now, friends, I'm glad that the Memphis Police Department acted swiftly to fire these five officers. I'm glad the Tennessee state authorities acted promptly to indict, to criminally charge these five offices with murder. And I'm glad the feds have jumped in to address the obvious violation of Tyree Nichols' constitutional rights. You actually see in that videotape those five police officers 
violate Tyree's Fourth Amendment rights. You know, the, the Fourth Amendment prohibits excessive force by police officers. The Fourth Amendment protects us all against unreasonable seizures. You know, most prosecutors and criminal defense attorneys can recite the Fourth Amendment off the top of their head. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. Shall not be violated. And you saw on video those police officers violating Tyree's constitutional right against an unreasonable seizure, against excessive force. But you know, friends, the fact that the Memphis Police Department acted promptly, the Tennessee prosecutors acted promptly, the federal prosecutors acted promptly, that all must be cold comfort to the family of Tyree Nichols, to his friends, to his community, to all of us who care about our fellow man. And it really brings us back to a topic that we have talked about a lot in recent years, the need for police reform. And if, you know, friends, I worked with a lot of police officers, and part of that is a product of the fact that I was a prosecutor in Washington, D.C., and there is a seemingly endless array of law enforcement organizations in D.C. So I worked closely with the local police, the Metropolitan Police Department, but I also worked with lots of federal law enforcement agencies, the FBI, the DEA, ATF, Park Police, Capitol Police, Secret Service Uniform Division, the U.S. Marshals Service, the Postal Police, the Amtrak Police, the Metro Police, the Smithsonian Police, you get the picture. And when I was an Army JAG, an Army prosecutor, I worked with the military police and the MPI, military police investigators, and the CID, the Criminal Investigation Division investigators. So yes, I worked with more police officers than I could ever count. And in my experience, most of them are in it for the right reasons. Most of them are there to protect and serve and do it honorably and fairly without bias or prejudice or hate. But as we know, there are far too many who are not in it for the right reasons. So friends, can we talk for just a few minutes about what I think has the greatest prospect of success when it comes to police reform. This is just one person's opinion, a former career prosecutor's opinion. Um, there are some people who will say, you know, you need better training and you need to ban certain police tactics or certain police weapons. Like for example, you need to ban chokeholds by police. And I think that can help really, but only around the edges. The reason I say that is because if you have bad police officers, police officers who are not in it to protect and serve fairly and honorably, and in a way that is free of bias and prejudice and hate, then you can ban all the police procedures you want, and you can train those people night and day 
And if they still are in policing for the wrong reasons, because they love the power they have over their fellow citizens, they love the fact that they can stop your car, order you out of your car, put you on the ground, handcuff you, arrest you. There are some people who get a real rush at doing those kinds of things. They love the power that comes with a badge on their chest and a gun on their hip, and they wield that power often in ways that are horrifically discriminatory. You know, whether it is bias or prejudice or xenophobia or homophobia or misogyny, you know, hating anybody that is different. You can train those folk all you want. You can ban all sorts of tactics trying to stop those people from policing in the wrong way, and you're not going to succeed. Nobody trained Derek Chauvin that it was okay to put your knee on the neck of a citizen for eight minutes and 46 seconds until he was dead. That's not a training issue. That's a hate issue. That's an abuse of power issue. So, in my opinion, the way you go about real police reform is by making sure that the people who apply to be police officers are the right people for the job. Think about this. We vote for people who then have some power and authority over our lives, right? We vote for our city council members. We vote for the mayor of our town. We vote for the governor of our state. We vote for representatives in Congress. We vote for senators. We vote for a president. And after those people are elected and they represent us, they can pass laws that then impact our lives. So we vote for people who will have the authority and the power to impact our lives by passing laws. But the people with the most direct power over us, with the most direct uh, potential to impact our lives every minute of every day, are not our elected officials, they're police officers. Because, you know, my city council member, my governor, my senator can't pull my car over, can't order me out of the car, can't cuff me, can't arrest me, can't exercise force against me. But the police can. But we don't get to vote for the police. And because we don't get to vote for the police, maybe the citizens should have buy-in in another way over the people who will have the most direct power and authority over them every minute of every day. And that's why I, I think if we really care about police reform, we don't just ban a chokehold or a particular police weapon that they wear on their belt. I think what we do is when we are hiring police officers, we have extreme vetting, extreme vetting of police officers with full citizen participation, right? You have the police and then you have those being policed. You have the police and then you have us, the citizens, we the people. Why shouldn't we get a direct say in who it is that will police us, who it is that will have that power over us? So step one, extreme vetting with full citizen participation. That's not hard to set up. 
And when I say extreme vetting, I mean extreme vetting. I don't just mean deep dive interviews. I don't just mean polygraph examinations, lie detector tests. I don't just mean interviewing the friends and family of the person who wants to be a police officer, the person who wants the power of the badge and the gun. Uh, I don't just mean making sure that person doesn't have any hateful tattoos on their body. I mean that person should be an open book during the extreme vetting process. You know, we all live these lives online now. And if somebody is hateful, prejudiced, xenophobic, misogynistic, homophobic, you're probably going to see some of that in their online presence, in their cyber world. So you want to apply to be a police officer, you want that badge and that gun, you want to be able to order me out of my car, then you should be an open book. We should be able to scour your online life, your social media posts to make sure that you actually are a human being who is driven by empathy and a concern for equal rights and decency. You want to protect and serve fairly and even-handedly, not hatefully and in a prejudice or biased manner. Not too much to ask for somebody who wants the awesome power and responsibility of a badge and a gun. Extreme vetting during the hiring process with full citizen participation. That's one way to keep hateful police officers from wearing a badge and carrying a gun. Part two, extreme testing and training. Frequent testing and training with full citizen participation. Build that relationship between the police and the people being policed. So you don't just get run through the academy and get put out on the street and then occasionally you have some updated training, you go to the range and qualify a couple of times a year. No, you train and you test and you train and you test and you train and you test until it becomes like muscle memory, the do's and don'ts of policing. And then part three is extreme accountability with full citizen participation. You know, no three strikes and you're out, no two strikes and you're out, one strike when it comes to excessive force or serious police misconduct and you're out. And you are barred from ever serving as a police officer anywhere, anytime, in any capacity. But I really think part one is the most important. It's the extreme vetting with full citizen participation because moving forward we have to stop the wrong people from getting involved in police work, people who are in it for the wrong reasons. And I want to say it again, friends, because in my experience, 30 years as a prosecutor, most officers are in it for the right reasons. And I've seen officers serve with extraordinary empathy and decency and honor and fairness. I can't tell you how many times I've seen police officers reach out to people in need, to somebody who is drug addicted or homeless or in need of mental health help. And I've seen officers reach out their hands to help folk, not just when they were responding to 911 calls. I've seen it up close, repeatedly. But there are still far too many bad officers serving on police forces around the nation, and you can't train them to refrain from misbehaving 
engaging in excessive force, you know, being motivated by their worst, basest instincts to exercise power over others because it makes them feel good and strong and important. I'm sorry, you can't train that out of them and you can't put regulations in place that will stop them from acting based on who they are. Thank you, friends, for listening to my thoughts, my views based on my experience working with police officers. You know, my belief as to what real police reform can look like. Because, you know, there's no justice if there's not equal justice for all. And there certainly was no equal justice for Tyree Nichols. We thought things might change. We thought there was a groundswell for police reform after George Floyd was murdered. And then it just sort of receded. Let's hope it doesn't take another George Floyd or Tyree Nichols for the powers that be to sit up and do the hard work of real police reform. Because justice matters. Coming up next, a new article gives us insight on what we can learn from Donald Trump's lengthy rants on social media. This is Justice Matters. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What can we glean from Donald Trump's unhinged rants on his third-rate social media platform? A new article in National Review takes a crack at answering that question. Here's Glenn. So friends, there's a piece that just ran in the National Review that takes a somewhat humorous look at Donald Trump's unhinged rants and ramblings that he continues to post on his Truth Social platform. I want to take a look at just a little bit of that National Review article and then move from the humorous to the serious. But before we do that, if you'll indulge me just 30 seconds of housekeeping. As you may know, we are an all-volunteer outfit here at Justice Matters. We're up and running seven days a week, posting a legal analysis video each and every day, and we couldn't do it without your support. So if you would like to more formally support our all-volunteer mission, our efforts, our content, please feel free to go over to patreon.com. You can sign up to become a patron, and if you do, I'll send you some Team Justice and Justice Matters stickers and a personal handwritten note of thanks. 
Now, let's turn to the topic for the day, this National Review article that pokes a little bit of fun at Donald Trump. The headline, Trump has completely lost his grip on reality. The former president's deterioration is on full display in the truth social asylum he built for himself. And that article begins, let's check in on the shadow primary for the 2024 Republican nomination. Nikki Haley is putting together a finance committee and suggested last week that she's leaning in to a run. Mike Pompeo, abject coward Mike Pompeo, that's my editorial edition there. Mike Pompeo has just published a book called Never Give an Inch and told CBS yesterday that he'll decide whether to enter the fray over the next handful of months. Governor Ron DeSantis has continued to pick winning fights in Florida since being reelected in a November landslide and has stayed assiduously quiet about his future. And then there's Donald Trump, who, despite being the only candidate who has officially announced his bid, is, well, ranting like a deranged hobo in a dilapidated public park. And friends, I actually feel compelled to apologize to deranged hobos in dilapidated parks everywhere for being compared to Donald Trump. Now friends, let's transition to the serious. Now I am not a political analyst or expert, but I don't think Donald Trump has a snowball's chance in hell of being elected president again. You know, heck, even creepy old John Bolton Donald Trump's former national security advisor just said the following on CBS News, quote, Trump's 2024 campaign is poison for the GOP and will continue to go downhill. Well, there's at least one thing I can agree with John Bolton on, but it's really not re-election that I'm concerned about. It's accountability or the lack of accountability for the crimes of Donald Trump. You know, friends, it's funny. Some people say, Glenn, you beat up too much on DOJ. And other people say, Glenn, you don't beat up enough on DOJ. You know, I don't see it as beating up on the Department of Justice, my former professional home for decades. Here's how I see it. More than two years ago now, Donald Trump and his criminal associates organized, orchestrated, planned, and incited a violent attack on the U.S. Capitol to try to stop the peaceful transfer of presidential power. And for more than two years now, the Department of Justice has declined to hold a single suit of the insurrection, as I call them, not the boots of the insurrection, the people who actually attacked the Capitol after Donald Trump ordered them to do so, the suits of the insurrection, the hierarchy, the command structure, the people of power and influence and connections. DOJ has not held a single suit of the insurrection accountable for the violent attack on the government that they launched to try to keep Donald Trump in power unlawfully, unconstitutionally. Here is my grave concern. There's a message that has been sent 
by the Department of Justice to the next aspiring dictator, to the next wannabe autocrat who might consider trying to violently overthrow our democracy if he loses an election. The message that has been sent by the Department of Justice, that if you do what Donald Trump did, if you try to violently overthrow our government, you will have more than two years to plot your next move. Maybe that next move is recruiting a new batch of insurrectionists and trying it all over again. DOJ not acting for more than two years now since Donald Trump tried to violently stop the certification of Joe Biden's election win has sent the message to the next wannabe dictator that you get to do it all over again and we will not touch you, not for two years and counting. I mean, soon it will be two years and a month and then two months and then two and a half years and then three years if we don't see federal indictments anytime soon. That is a supremely dangerous precedent to set. There should be timely accountability for people who try to violently overthrow our government, not a complete absence of responsibility because that's encouraging tomorrow's wannabe dictator to do it all over again and then some. So it's not about beating up on the Department of Justice, though I do that from time to time because I can't understand the lack of law enforcement action here. It's about wanting the best for our nation, for our country, for our democracy, for our kids, for our grandkids. Because right now, our democracy is struggling. I'm not prepared to say it's circling the drain, but boy, is it struggling. And I believe that absent accountability for Donald Trump and his criminal associates for what they did, I don't think we have a lot of hope that we will be able to keep our republic. And you know what? We really want to keep our republic, don't we? Because justice matters. Friends, as always, please stay safe, please stay tuned, and I look forward to talking with you all again soon. For more on Glenn, go to Glenn Kirshner 2 on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. This is Justice Matters.